What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by The Goat. The goat. The goat. Yeah, he looks like a goat. Yeah, because I was thinking like <laughs> he's the original, the, <laughs> the greatest, the original sponsor. You know when people say the greatest of all time sponsor, yeah. but he just is like an angry old goat. A billy goat that eats cans and fucks <laughs> anything that gets in its path. <laughs> it's Jason Furman. Yeah, Ein's a wiener. Ein's a wiener dog quip. I shouldn't really say that because that's your name for Jason, the Eins of Wiener. <laughs> Even though it's stuck and people all around the world, I heard people on Clubhouse saying it the other day, which was very funny. You know how it came to be, right? When he gave us those hoodies, yep. Jane loves her one, right? It's the blue that she loves and it's really nice, super comfortable hoodie. Mm-hmm. And she just has no interest in dog gear or dogs in general beyond like cuddling them. Yep. One day she couldn't find it and she's like, where's my, um, you know that blue hoodie? I'm like, which one? And you've got a few. And she's like, the um, Eins uh, Wiener one. <laughs> <laughs> Did you laugh immediately? Hysterical. <laughs> and I said, say that again. I'm going to send it to Jason. Mm. And I got her to say it again. And now we're recording a whole ad about it. Yep. So anyway, if you want dog gear, Jason's the one to get it from. Einswick Dog Quip. Yep. E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K? C-K. Yep. Dogquip.com. Yep. And before we wrap up, we've got a few more sponsors. In the, the pipe. In the pipe. Yeah, that's a better than saying in negotiations. Yeah. In the pipe. Looking to come on board. With the Einzawiener himself. The, the goat. The billy goat. The billy goat's gruff. Let's <laughs> start calling him the goat. <laughs> All right, that's it. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. We're in studio, you and me. You sound amazing. Do I? It might be these brand new headphones. It could be. (laughs) (laughs) Color-coded headphones. Thank you, Patreon. Patreon. Yes, thank you very much. It is actually nice because we had like a ragtag crew of old- Four random headphones. Four random headphones that I think I had from- 15 or 16 years ago when I was yeah. really into videography for my other company I was working for. Yeah. And yeah, I had like a bunch of them and you had one and I had one. And yeah. now we've got those proper matching road ones. Oh, we're so fancy. I was just telling Pat prior to us going on air that we decided to pull the trigger on it because we had some Patreon cash come in. And I said to Pat, it'd be nice if we just get some comfortable earphones that even our guests can wear that we don't have to say, okay, put this one slightly <laughs> to the left. Um, and don't let that little bit of cloth fall off the yeah. top of it. If that falls off, just put it back on. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. was what was happening. Now they're all the same. We've got color-coded cables. cables, so we know which one's switching one on. So yeah. it does. It's getting more and more professional every time. But the nice thing was, was when um, the two of us spoke, we've got a very respectful relationship with each other with spending money. Like we just don't do it without telling each other, you yeah, know, yeah. because we respect each other. So we just say, you know, like we want to do this. And and I said to Pat, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to do this. I went online and the first pair I bought to test out was something like 235 bucks. Yeah. I went online and I found the same headphones 
for 180 bucks. And I thought, holy shit, I've got to jump on that. Yeah. And I did. I jumped on it straight away and I purchased three more. Yeah. The guy rings me up from the company and he goes, oh man, congratulations on your headsets. He goes, we had a sale and they weren't supposed to be on it. And um, <laughs> he, he was kind of alluding that if I was going to reject the yeah. offer, then they could charge me the real price that they should have been. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's fortunate for us, isn't it? And he goes, yep. Yep. Sorry, small business yeah. owner who's just struggled through COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, sure Road can manage it. Well, that's right. And we got them for like a killer price and they're great headphones. So again, I know we're dog show, but we're really proud of setting up our studio so we yeah. can, we constantly say we want to improve the sound, we want to improve the quality. So we're, we're heading in that direction all the time. Amazing. That's, that was our promise. Our original promise to Patreon is that we weren't just going to cash it in and put the money in our pocket. It yep. was going to go into products and services to improve what we're doing on the show. So we are doing that. Anyway, I don't want to rabbit on for that because people will go, oh, Glenn just gets on there and he just tells random stories about his whisper room and he can stick that up his ass. Well, one day. One day. We still have, from six weeks ago, oh. there's still topics to work through. Sorry. My oh, apologies. Sorry, you do want to talk about the Whisper Room. I, no. <laughs> yes and no. No, what I, what I did want to do, it's always nice to meet people who love the show. Uh-huh. Always nice. You and I have traveled around, we've traveled to different countries, and we've met people who have been really appreciative, and they come up and meet us, and they're very thankful. And today I got another opportunity to meet someone, Greg Tredenick is his name. Oh, yeah. I see um, him online, yeah. Yep, Greg's online a lot. He comments on things randomly here and there. He works for- Hang on, hang on. Was it Greg that years ago gave us four stars, and you hit him up and was like, hang on, mate. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It could have been. <laughs> Why four? And he goes, well, no one gets a perfect score. And then he later changed it to five. You pressured him into giving us five stars. Was that you, Greg? I think it was. If it was, you need to let us know if that was you. But so Greg, he lives up Newcastle way and Uh he works for, he's a dog guy with the councils. Uh, Him and I had a coffee and a sit down and a chat up at Terrigal today. So we got to have a chat and got to catch up talking about a few things coming up in the future. You know, towards the end of it, he goes, mate, I've got to tell you, I just love what you and Pat do with this show. Like he said, I can't express enough how much it's changed my life and my perspectives even when you guys like take a little break, he goes, I get really nervous that you're not going to come back and do the podcast. Yeah, right. And I said, well, we haven't got plans to do that. Like I said, this is actually time that Pat and I get to spend time together. Like it's our yeah, bro yeah. time. And I said, but it's good because we get to tell stories or share things that have happened or even share things with the community that we find important. And yeah. he goes, well, mate, please don't ever stop. And he goes, because I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to and just myself that it's really changed lives and perspectives. Mate, I tell you, those sort of things kick me in the feels. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's nice because reflecting once again, which has been mentioned many times, this was a show that at one stage we were just unsure of what would happen, where it would go, and now there are people all over the world who are part of our community and are regularly liaising with us backwards and forwards. And it's just nice to see that it has a profound effect on people. It is changing people. It is helping people lift the bar. And it's nice because even Greg said, he goes, I bet you get sick and tired of people telling you these sort of things. I said, not once. Never. I said, we're a part of your community. We're a working team of, of guys. We're not lording over people. We're a part of the community. Like, you know, the ebbs and flows that you guys are feeling in the community, we're feeling them too, but we're expressing them. Like we're, we're on here talking about it and talking about the things that fuck with our heads, the things that hurt us, the things that help us, the things that make us grow. Predominantly, that's what we love about 
the opportunity that we have in providing the show and being able to have feedback and have fellowship with the people in our community. And yeah, I never get sick of hearing that. I never get tired of knowing that people like hearing this and it's relevant and it's what you want to hear. Mm. Like we said, we can just get on here and we can riff about whatever we want to talk about. But what we would rather do is is share it with the community, have that fellowship and have that time together. So nice story, felt good. And thank you, Greg. I really appreciated spending time together today, mate, and getting to meet in person. That's cool. Mm. At the end of the day, we're just dickheads with microphones, but now we're dickheads with microphones and and really cool headphones. (laughs) (laughs) That all match. All right. So, hey, I'm going through this list Mm. and last week we finished on Danny Strauder's question about suppression and we perfectly answered everything that everybody's ever wanted to know about suppression. Exactly. So we can move on from that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Superior Paul says... Uh, talk about having fun with the dog and not always pressuring the dog. I feel like we do talk about that a lot. A lot. I, I don't know that there's there's too much more to elaborate on that. Mm, I think there's been a lot of talk about that, especially lately. Mm. I think since Dave Croyer came on the show, that has been something that we've kind of given a little bit more consideration to and it's bled into more of the conversations about, well, let me step back a little bit further from that. I think that, Multiple people that we've had conversations with, I think Forrest Mickey was one of them who was talking about better relationships and mm-hmm. and sharing your life with your dog. He talked about books that he's read that have influenced him and changed his mind and perspective on those. Denise Fenzi, I think she's mentioned the same sort of processes. And then on to Dave Croyer, who was really talking about once he's done with his IGP journey, he just wants a dog that is it at total liberty, you know, mm. like he doesn't have to worry about going out and doing the hard labor and the training and so forth. But it, look, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're involved in a dog sport, whether you're involved in a working dog for, you know, like your work time application or a pet dog, you still have to have boundaries in place for whatever application it is. Yeah. I spoke when we had Birdie here last week about our requirements for the Frenchies. And even though they don't do things like drops and sits, there's still expectations of them. Yeah. Rounding them up to take them out to the toilet. There's still things that they have to do when, yeah, when management we ask. Stuff. Management stuff. Exactly. It all comes down to adequate management. I think that's a good summary for it. It's yeah. really about your lifestyle management processes. Something while you're just talking, talking about having fun with the dog and not always pressuring the dog, you know, that's his question. Something that's been really interesting for me over the last couple of weeks is I've been training with the Sydney Mondio guys because in probably by the time this comes out, like in, in a few, in a week, less, less than I'm going to do a Mondio trial. Cool. And I'm not expecting to pass because for a couple of reasons, you know, initially like PSA is my game. That's what I play. That's what my dog's like heavily indoctrinated in. Mm. And initially when a certain jerk Mondio organization would let me play, they were the only ones. And so I, yeah, it was off the table. So I was like, oh, well that's the. And, and you've had shit all time to prepare for it. Yeah. Well, and so I just haven't because it was off the table. Mm. And then the Sydney Mondio guys have you know, started their own organization. Um, I think with the guys in Perth and there, they contacted me and said, Hey, you're very welcome to play with us, uh, which is fantastic. And so they're having a trial very soon. And so I'm going to have a crack at a Mondio one, but what's been good about doing it is it's I'm training for something that I don't actually actually intend to pass, mm. right? If I pass, that would be cool. But the defensive handler, like it's so different to what my dog knows. And when I initially wanted to do that, he was, you know, I think 18 months old and 
he was a pretty loose kind of dog at that point, right? Mm. I, I had reasonable control over him, but only enough to get a PSA one. I think I had the one when I was going to do that. And now, like, I was prepping, you know, I've got first leg of a two, and and my intention was when, you know, pre-COVID, like 2020, I was going to try and finish my two. You're going to channel him into full PSA. Yeah, so my, my plan together, was yeah. to finish the two and then, you know, get into the three, hopefully, like, mm. finish the two on a Saturday and get into the two on a Sunday. Like I have a lot of control over the dog and it's mm. probably too far gone to try and change that, especially in a short period of time. He's to, seven now, right? Uh, six. Or oh, he's about to be six, yeah. Yep. So it's been fun just training for a goal with really I don't give a shit whether I pass. Mm. See, like when I train for PSA, like it's important to me to pass, right? And it's high stakes for me because people watch. I'm a coach and like I'm, I find myself constantly reminding myself that coaching and doing are different things and mm. – even if I don't be as successful, you can coach people beyond your own success. That's possible to do because coaching and doing are separate things. But I feel a strong pressure to be successful. And I think one of the tricky things about PSA especially is it's a game that where people fail regularly. Yep. You know, like Jerry Bradshaw himself wrote the rules and I think with one of his dogs, it took him more than 10 times to get through the level two. Yeah, he's still subject to it. He's never cheated his way through it. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's a game where people fail, right? Mm. So it's a really high stakes thing thing for me because I talk about dog training all the time and you got to be able to show what you do and it's a game where people fail and I have you know like I I got my first leg of my two but then didn't get it the second time the Mm. second day anyway it's been fun with no pressure on the dog because I'm just having fun training the guys have been quite helpful they're helping me sort of do what we can to prep for it yep and we may or may not you know I give myself 50 50 but either way it's been fun because there's been no pressure and the pressure to the like Remy has no fucking idea differently right? Beyond the fact that he's like, hey, how come I'm now allowed to look at decoys when in the past I was only, uh, you know, wasn't allowed to look at decoys? Like that's his perception is like, oh, things are different. And he visibly enjoys learning new things. He's enjoying it. But from my own point of view, I'm enjoying training a lot. And I think that that has a lot to do with the pressure comes from ourselves very often. And that often then travels to the dog. I Mm. think that that's part of the issue, right? Is that people who put emotional pressure on the dog that's their own pressure. That's their own ego that's driving that. Mm. Because my dog has a bunch of titles and he doesn't know or give a fuck about any of them, right? He doesn't give a shit. And the days that we have competed and we have succeeded are no different to the days from his perception that we just go and play in the park, right? Like to him, it's the same shit. Mm. He doesn't know the difference. But to me, it's really different. And the pressure that comes of that, if any pressure goes to him, that's 100% my fault, right? Mm. And it's been fun, like I say, to shed the, I think as well, like it, it's maybe my maturity as well. You know, it'll be interesting to see when, if and when I do get an opportunity to trial in PSA again, how I'll feel then. Mm. Uh, because it's a shedding of my own ego, I think a little bit, is like the pressure onto him. Like I say, like this Mondio, I'm just doing it for fun and I'd like to support those guys, you know, be another number in the trial, that kind of stuff. Like it just feels different and it feels good like to, to be training to a goal and I don't care, especially whether I pass or fail. If I fail, I can have another go another time if I want to, you know, we just see how we go. It's a little liberating, isn't it? It's just fun. Mm. It's just fun, which is what dog sport's meant to be. Yeah. Right. That's the whole point of dog sport. Like none of us are making money out of this. I mean, you can make money as a coach and that kind of stuff and training dogs, but- 
Dog sports cost you money. It just fucking cost you a ton. Dog, all it does is just cost you money and a, and a fucking shitload of time. Yeah, that's yeah. it, right? And yeah. so when you can remember, and this is what I'm remembering now, is I'm just doing it because I enjoyed the training of the dog and it gives me a goal to train towards, mm. right? And if I meet that goal, awesome. And if not, then there's a bunch of reasons that I won't because he's been indoctrinated in another program, blah, 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 right? Like yeah. there's all these things, but it's just been fun. And I think that that is my key message when we're talking about having fun with a dog and not always pressuring the dog, if you're pressuring the dog in training to do something, then that's your ego that's driving that. And Mm -hmm. that's probably like ego work that you need to do separately of dog training. And the other is if you're dealing in behavioral stuff, like if you're trying to fix an issue with a dog, pressuring the dog to become something that it's not is often something that we see people kind of struggling with, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think, This is where I find this really difficult to talk about because you never want to give people permission to just go, well, my dog's an asshole and that's who he is, right? And I think sometimes when we talk about the role of genetics and the bandwidth of capability and that kind of stuff, I get uncomfortable talking about it because what I don't want is someone who's, you know, in the struggle of their journey with their dog Mm. and they hear, you know, us or someone else say, well, you know, some dogs, they're just not going to get any better. And that's true, but- Maybe it's not your dog. And so that's one of my concerns is that I say to people like, you know, you got to accept your dog for who he is. And then they go, well, this is who he is. And it's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, he's that because you made him that, right? Like, yeah. and, and identifying that can be really tricky. But I think that's part of it. Like somehow if you can figure out how to pass out and separate the idea of like having fun with your dog and pressuring it into becoming the best version of itself, but kind of trying to identify that and going, well, you know, like one of the things we see people, yeah, my dog's dog aggressive and and they want him to play with other dogs. And it's like, he could become neutral, but he doesn't want to play with other dogs. Mm. And all of your attempts and pushing to create that is what is creating more dog aggression. And that's a form of pressuring the dog rather than having fun with the dog. Mm. I think there's a lot to the, the topic. That's kind of my catch cry on it is like, I'm enjoying having fun with my dog. And I think that, separating yourself from outcomes and process like that can you know, make having more fun more possible because I'm enjoying the process rather than towards an outcome. Normally when I'm training and especially if you are doing behavior modification stuff, you're working towards an outcome and that outcome is you know going to create pressure because you need to achieve it. Whereas if you can focus on the process and get really good at the process of what you do and learn to enjoy the process, then, you know, maybe that makes the outcome just as likely. Like if you're going to get there, if you follow, have a good process and you follow it, you're going to get to the outcome or not. And if it can be achieved, you will. Mm. Right. But for sure, the way you'll put too much pressure on the dog in any way, shape or form, depending on your know, behavior, mod, sport, whatever, is if you get too attached to the outcome and then don't stick to what you know to be good process. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Circling back to something you said before about owners with dogs who may or may not have listened to things that we've said or other people who have influenced them in the past and then saying, well, that's just my dog. Sometimes I find that it does get very convenient to tick boxes. Yeah, oh, for sure. You can look at a situation and you can say to yourself, well, that sounds like me. Mm. horoscopes do that quite a lot when people are yeah, reading yeah. their their horoscopes they go oh that's me yeah. you know, that, that's why i behave yeah, the, yeah. the way i do oh those aries <laughs> so we can be very very influenced over those sort of things and then just use that as a suitable excuse in order to not do the training or not do what you need to do in order to get to where you need to get to yeah if that makes sense yeah it had nothing to do with dog training i was watching something the other day And somebody was talking about people who have different attitudes at work. 
where they complain and bitch and whinge about things. And you and I, prior to turning the microphones on, were talking about how that seems to be a problem in general society at the moment. There seems to be this emphasis on entitlement. Although we have a phenomenal crew that work for us and the majority of the people that work for us in our organisation are young people, mainly young women. Some of them are the hardest working people you ever meet in your life. Mm -hmm. Like they're absolute Spartans of the dog industry. They come to work early. They deal with shit and noise and and I'm talking shit and noise, literal shit and noise all day long. And they work hard. They slog it out. And some of them you never hear a peep out of. Not a squeak. And others will be in the job for five minutes and they want everything and they're not happy about anything. One of the people that was speaking about this was saying that your state of mind is dependent on how you feel in any given moment. Mm -hmm. It was in relation to work. And they said, in order to do your job better, you have to disguise it not as a job, but as a game that you're playing. And I think that some of the best trainers I've ever met in dogs, in horses, not to say that I'm very influential in the horse area because I'm not, but I speak to people because I'm interested in behavior. I Mm want to know, how do you do it? How do you make a horse move like that? How do you get their feet prancing up and down? What do you do to make that happen? Most people who know what they're talking about, even though they know and understand what operant conditioning is, Pavlovian conditioning, shaping, chaining, the whole processes, all of them, most of the people who really, really know the nuts and bolts as it is they just say, I disguise work as play. Mm. And that's primarily what I want to do is I want to show the animal, yes, there are consequences, but all I'm doing is I'm trying to play that game of hot and cold with you. Mm. When you're cold and you're moving away from the behavior, I'm trying to show you there's nothing here for you. Mm. There's nothing to earn. But when you're back on track, the world opens up. All the possibilities, all the opportunities are available to you. I'm trying to disguise work as play. So a lot of times people get really stressed out thinking about their dogs doing work. And sometimes when they're watching people who don't know how to do it properly, and as you said, can become very egotistical, can become angry, can become frustrated, that doesn't look like fun. It doesn't look like anyone's having fun in that situation. The owner of the dog's not having fun. Maybe the person who's mentoring them is not having fun because they're frustrated watching the people make a mockery of literally what they've just told them for the last hour day, two days, one week, one month, that they're not conveying it well to the dog. And the dog's not having fun because it's the recipient of bad communication. But when it is going well and when you see people who are doing their job well and you see that it's like a symphony of brilliance between everybody, there is like a melding of beautiful behaviours, everything looks lovely, Like, and the dog is having a fucking ball. Mm. But so is the trainer, so is the handler. Everybody is enjoying themselves because – It all works out in the end. But that takes time. That takes effort to understand that, especially when there are stresses in place, like when people become stressed about any sort of situation. That really shows you who you are in those type of moments. I get to see that on a very regular basis in every student group that we have that come through NDTF, Mm. where I can have a group that will laugh and play and joke with me and with themselves We can talk about situations. They can be up doing demonstrations, showing things that they're uncomfortable with. The minute they know they're being assessed is you see a completely different person. Yeah, it's funny, hey? You see, what's the word for it? When you're very expressive with something. Animated? Yeah, animated. You're very animated, but you're lively and you're this, you know, this open personality all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Um, Like jovial? Extroverted. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You see a sudden change of introvert and extrovert 
all of a sudden, mm. where during the week you could see the extrovert, the person who was in charge, happy, motivated. But the minute it becomes an, a, an assessment, some of those people immediately jump into introverts. Yeah. They become very conscious. They become very aware. Mm. They're overthinking everything. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it's stressed. And as I explained to them on the preamble before we even do the assessment, I'm the same guy that's been with you all week. (laughs) Kana is here. She's the same person who's been with you in the parts that she's doing. There's no surprises to this. What we're assessing is the same thing that we've been doing on repeat. However, it's just that process of being assessed for some people and the same thing happens when people go into trial like even during mock trials if people take that first breath and you can just hear the shuddering in their voice or in their breath and you're thinking what changed we've been drilling this pressure uh, time and time that's exactly right yeah because you actually have funnily enough you have the ability to turn that on and off you have the ability to do it yeah but that takes coaching as well totally And that's what a lot of people haven't mastered that art of. They don't know how to control their emotions when they become stressed. Yeah. Throughout the history of us doing this podcast, you and I have shared stories about things that we've done in the past. I was talking to Greg about this today because it turns out that him and I have a very entwined life together where we've met each other multiple times. Like I met him at your seminar, but didn't realize it. I met him in 1995 when I first came up to Sydney with Boyd and another guy called Neville and, yeah, right. and didn't realise it. But telling stories about things today, we realised that we've met each other on multiple different times yeah, okay. and had conversations. When he talked to me about your seminar, then I went, oh, yeah, I, I realise. Then I told him a story about what happened in 1995 and he goes, oh, I remember you, you know, because I told something that we could affiliate with. But – we were talking about the effects of stresses in people, in especially in different roles that they do and how they change behavior and who they become mm. based on what they do. There's a lot of people, and especially quickly jumping into the security industry, there's a lot of people who basically go out, get the bare minimum of training in being a security guard, the bare minimum of training of being a dog handler, and the bare minimum of training of having a firearm strapped to their side. It's improved. It's gotten better. They get the training, but they don't know how to deal with the stress of the situation. They don't know how to deal with the realism of it when shit actually goes south because it's all make-believe and it's all play until it's not. And then when they're out there all by themselves and their coaches, their mentors, and their teachers aren't there with them, they're by themselves in that situation. And that's when shit becomes real for you. Yeah. So it happens a little bit like that when you step onto a field sometimes as well. Like all the training wheels and all of the coaching stops immediately and you're all on your own and you're out there because I felt that too. Mm. You know, in situations where I've coached other people not to feel that, I've still felt it. Oh, of course. The last time Randy did his PSA one and he did quite well in it, I was nervous on that one because the one before that he fucked it up. Mm -hmm. And it was only one exercise. I knew once I get past this, I'm going to be fine. But it was that one exercise, and as soon as he was there, I had to control my breathing and not let him see me frustrated and lo- and let him see me emotional because I was getting really worked up at that stage. Because yeah. I'm thinking this is the one thing, the one area where shit could go south really quickly. Yeah. And even before that trial, I was putting my mind at different states where I could think outside that and I could calm my breathing down and try and slow my heart rate down because I thought if I don't, I'm going to project that to the dog somehow. Totally. And he's not going to enjoy this. And then he's going to stress and he won't do well. And somehow that will be my fault Mm. because you and I have often conveyed and we do in the environments that dogs are products of their environment. Yeah. Very much so. 
Stress is a funny one. Mm. And, and yeah, there, there can be so many triggers of stress. And, and yeah, you talk about like that sort of battle stress, combat stress. That's a really interesting one that mm. I'm you know, somewhat of an expert on. It's very interesting. When I was at the school, like we were selecting guys for special forces. I spent two years at the school selecting and training. I, I ran, well, not ran. I was a, an instructor on two Rio cycles where starting in January, we start selecting guys. And usually by the following January, they're, they're ready to go into the companies and they finish their training in the companies, but we spend the whole year training them. And a lot of the things you see, like, you know, you watch a movie about like special forces selection, you watch, you know, GI Jane and you know, all those things, Navy yep. SEAL stuff. You watch the buds and stuff. It's all to stress the fuck out of someone. A lot of the perception with a lot of those army stuff is you imagine that all SF guys are crazy fit, like weapon fit, because you see that selection. And the reason, like, of course, you do have to be fit. Of course they are, right? Yep. And every year you have to, the, the test to get into special forces, every year you have to redo that, the, mm-hmm. the fitness test, right? So you have to maintain it. But the reason people get themselves so fit is because the selection is so hard physically the reason it's so hard physically is not to test you physically. There's what they call the barrier test. It's a, a fitness test that happens before selection. If you're not fit enough, you can't turn up. Mm. So when they're doing all these ridiculous fitness things, it's not to test fitness at all. It's to test toughness. Mm. And then like the idea is to put you into a state of stress. It's like where we can see what we're trying to figure out how you're going to perform under battle stress because we can't create that. It's impossible to create. We're trying to create some sort of proxy, some sort of approximation to it. And what we're trying to do is trick your body into thinking it's dying so that when you for sure could die, it's at least similar. And we've seen how you perform under that. That's why we do sleep deprivation. That's why we don't feed people for three days at a time. Like, you know, all those kinds of things Mm. to try and stress the fuck out of them. But even then it doesn't work you get guys that get through all that kind of stuff. And then the first time they're in the gunfight, they piss their pants and go to water. I can tell you what's interesting about that is I had a conversation about this just the other day with the guys in clubhouse. Like nobody puts themselves in a gunfight and knowing they're going to piss their pants. Yep. Right. There's plenty of people who are kind of pretenders in the job. Mm. And then when the balloon goes up, they're like, Oh, guess what? I've been drawing a paycheck for no reason. I'm fucking out of here. I'm not going on that deployment. And usually most people are like, Oh, power to you. Right. Like, well done. You self-selected out, but you do not stack on the door, like get to that point and then piss your pants at the door. If you knew that was coming, mm. like no one knows that's coming. And it's quite devastating to people when that happens because they're like, fuck it. I thought I was someone else and it turns out I'm this and I didn't know that. Right. Mm. So that's one interesting sort of like part of stress. And it's a really different thing because it's a stress of that's fear and lots of things, but the type of stress that you get entering a trial, the consequences are nothing. (laughs) Well, certainly comparatively. And I think for the most part, what people are mostly concerned about is how they could be perceived. And they think like, especially someone in say my position, your position, we're professional dog trainers. I I train dogs. Yeah. Absolutely, man. It's your reputation on the line, right? You're thinking, fuck, if I don't pass this trial, who am I to talk about this shit if I don't pass it? And you start thinking about like, how are people going to think of me in all of this, right? And that's something like, I suffer from that hard, right? Mm. Like, so I'm not immune to this. I'm, I'm just explaining my process, but rather than saying like, mine is good. But certainly one thing that I try and fall back to is when I think about like, how are people going to think of me? Usually I can sort of settle on, they're just not going to think of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like imagine I talk a huge game. I'm the best. I'm the fucking best there is. I'm the best goddamn trainer on the planet. No one can fucking, I'm the best. I'll beat everybody. And they go out on the field and my dog fucking takes a shit and walks off, right? People are going to go like, oh, what a dickhead. 
and then they're going to keep scrolling on their newsfeed. Exactly. <laughs> Even the people that, and I say this lightly because I don't have many people that I really don't like, but I've got a couple of people who I really don't like. Mm-hmm. They don't get much headspace. Yeah, like that's it. The only time I think of them is I might see them on social media or I might somebody might mention their name and I think, oh, that And then for the next five minutes, I might be kicking a few boxes thinking, oh, I hope you're in fucking flame somewhere now. <laughs> and then I'm not thinking about them. Yeah. Like, that's it. It's five minutes and that's it. And that's not nice to think of people in that way. But it- No, and, and that's right. And so when the lynch mob comes after you or, or not even, just people like, you know, say something unkind or whatever, they're just going to say that and then move on with their day. But it affects you for much longer. Yes, it does. And I think the trick to getting through that, and especially if we're going to talk in, you know, in the dog space and putting that stress down the line to the dog and performance, like the stress yep. of performance, is to remember you're there to have fun. Mm. And remember also that even if it goes badly and people do talk about how badly it went, in the multitude of their day, in the, the entirety of their day, it's going to be a sentence that comes out of their mouth. It's going to occupy like 0.00001% of their day. Mm. And also it's going to occupy 100% of your day because you're thinking about that. And the trick is to just be like, first of all, hopefully we can put ourselves in a position where we can say, well, how you feel about me is not my problem, Mm. right? That would be great. But then also the next step after that is to say, well, if I can't totally divorce myself from how you think about me, if I do have concerns about how you think about me and I can't separate from that, is to realize that you don't think about me very much at all. Mm. Right. And so yeah, I think that's one of the things that holds people back. There's a saying from Sun Tzu, one of his most famous sayings, which is fear of death is worse than death itself. Mm-hmm. That correlates to a lot of those types of feelings that you were talking about before. There are so many times where, again, relating to NDTF students, there are so many times where I ask them the question, if you don't pass today, What's the worst that's going to happen? There's a lot of silence in the room. And I said, well, think about it. What's the worst that's going to happen? And they said, we'll have to come back and do it again. And I said, that's it. That's the worst thing that's going to happen out of this. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not going to ring that bell and yell shame and get people to line you up and throw tomatoes at you all the way out to the car park. I said, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to get on social media and rip shreds through you and say that you did a shit job when you were nervous and you were trying your best. We all have moments where we have brain fog. We'll just have a brain fart and all of a sudden everything that we knew and everything we were preparing for because we are stressed, it just fell out of our head at the critical moment. There's not many people that I know who aren't immune to that from time to time. Some people will be lucky and they'll get through it. Some people prepare themselves and they know how to deal with stress. They've meditated or they've coached themselves or they've had coaching on it. But I said for most of us, it is an internal struggle sometimes that nobody at school teaches you how to deal with this. Sometimes your parents never really bring it up with you unless they've been dealing with it yourself. I'm sure maybe one day you'll have this conversation with Rip because you have dealt with different types of stresses that other people haven't. We're probably the exception to the rule. We This is a big conversation at our house. Mm. I don't know if it's him, like genetic trait, or whether it's the way that he's been raised. I, I don't know. But he's very emotionally intelligent. Mm. Uh, and I know you and I've had this conversation. Yeah. And first of all, he understands things much better than like a lot of his peers, Mm. you know, emotional, like how he feels and that kind of stuff. And we really explore it. We really sort of tease it out with each other and it's fun to do. But I also think that, I don't know, man, I think of kids the same way I think of like young dogs. I think of it, it's wet clay. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and you get an opportunity. You can shape it. You can mold it. You can try and turn it. But it's drying as you're working it, man. Mm. You don't get to put any more water on that clay. And so it is drying while Ooh, I you're I like that analogy. It. I like this. Yeah. And so at some point mm. with kids and with dogs, that clay hardens and you're like, well, this is what I have now, mm. right? And I think of that, like I, I sort of explain that with, especially with young dogs, like use that analogy with people all the time. you got to keep it, the working it, turning it into what you want it to be mm. because at some point that's going to set and then yeah. that's what you have. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that we sort of do a lot at our at home is like I think of his personality as wet clay and and it's not my job to form it entirely. Like he, I, I'm there to help him and for, form it for himself. Mm. But we certainly talk about about like when things stress him, we have we do a lot of like stress and coping techniques. He also has some sort of like he has me and Jane's best traits in the worst combination. <laughs> and provided he can keep control of it, it's gonna serve him amazingly. Yep. But if he loses control of that, he's gonna have a tough life. So what he has is Jane's attention to detail, mm-hmm. right? Like her OCD essentially. One of the things that's amazing about Jane is like she'll enter your house and she immediately like those paintings aren't aligned and the minor details, right? She picks all that up, but she's okay with it. She just sees it, right? She just like, I'm aware of this, but I don't have to fix it. Mm. I just see it, right? So she can manage that. It's fine. I have, like, I don't care about very much, but when I lock onto something, nothing can stop me. I'll mm. go like, and I, but I don't lock onto much, right? But when I decide I'm doing something, I cannot be derailed from it. <laughs> Rip has both of those traits. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. What a, what a combination. <laughs> so like he gets obsessed over things that a lot of people wouldn't give a shit about mm. and cannot be derailed from it. So we do a lot of work. We do a lot of work on sort of teaching him to manage that. Right. And I think he's six, so we've got a lot of time, but it's, it's wet clay and mm. we're having time to shape and mold it. And hopefully by the time that sets, when he's 18 to 25, it'll be something that he's happy with and, and likes and, and others as well. That's the goal. Fascinating to see his outcome into teenage years. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Someone will probably pull this out in 10 years and be like, this is what you said. Yeah. You'll be like, did you really talk about me? Why were you doing yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, we've just talked for a long time about something we said. Oh, I think we've, I know, we've, I think we've already off, covered like, that, mate. Five, five minutes. Oh, fucking, you've, we've already covered that for you. <laughs> Let's go down the list. Back to dog training as well. Mm. Terry Wilson says, training male dogs whilst a female is in the house is on heat. In the house is on heat. Jeez, you know what I do poorly is read out loud from Facebook. I fucking stumble over me words all the time. I wonder if people are like, I wonder if Pat's illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> I often I often get people, I, I just usually try and pretend that they misspelled something or they said it wrong, but I just don't read out loud well. Entirely off topic. But I was watching Coming to America the other day. Love, one of the greatest movies ever made. The second one. Oh, yeah. Which is just like a tribute to the first one. It is. It's a politically correct Coming to America in ways. It's a modern version. It's a modern version. It's good, but it's just the sign of the times <laughs> where they just, you know, they take all the fun out of the 80s and they turn it into the 2000 areas. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was still fun. I still enjoyed it. But what I marvel at is even in his elderly years, they got Morgan Freeman as to do the speech for the father when he was passing away. Oh, yeah. His eulogy. Yeah. I love that man's voice. He does it while he's alive, doesn't he? He does, yes. (laughs) And then he dies just right. He goes, "Uh, Akeem, I'm just letting you know I'm dying now. (laughs) (laughs) James Earl Jones is another one. His voice 
when he was in his prime playing Vader and even in Conan the Barbarian, the original one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, the voice of James Earl Jones is just haunting. And mm. so is Morgan Freeman's. There's a myriad of men and women around the world who would, they just have that captivating, haunting voice when they read and they can do it so well. I think I does Optimus Prime. Oh, I'm so envious of people who can do that. Yeah. Because I, I listen to myself when I'm editing and I'm going, oh my God, is that really how you talk? <laughs> <laughs> I saw a TikTok just today. It was the guy who's been Optimus Prime's voice the whole time. Yep. And he's on stage. It must be at like a Comic-Con or something. And he's talking and uh, about how he came up with the voice. It's not his voice. Mm. It's a, he, it's a, he's a voice actor. He creates it. And the original creator of the show was explaining to him like who Optimus is within the show. And then he says to him, be strong enough to be soft. Mm. And then that's where the Optimus Prime, and then he just sort of was like, okay, that's where it is. It's like a powerful but kind voice, mm. and which is exactly like how you would describe Optimus Prime, right? You know who else has an amazing voice? Lofty Fulton. Oh, well, he's the pro. The, the amazing thing about Lofty, it's not like I'm outing him or talking about anything sensitive, but Lofty was born with dwarfism. Yeah. And when you hear that voice emanating from him. Oh my God, the power in his voice. I remember the first time I've known Lofty and Helen for years. And I remember the first time I met Lofty and Karen doesn't know. He does the intro for our show and many, many other things, but that voice Master at the start. Chef, yeah. rugby, all but that voice know, at the start of our show is Lofty. Is Lofty Fulton. Yeah. The first time I met Lofty, Helen had just adopted a dog here that was a failed explosive detection dog. She came and picked her up and I had met Lofty before and he came over and Helen said, this is my partner, Lofty. And I said, g'day, mate, how you doing? And he spoke and I said, geez, dude, your voice is amazing. Like you should be, and this is what a dumbass I am. I said, you should do voiceovers or something like that. <laughs> and um, he kind of smiled and Helen goes, uh, he does. He's, um, you know, <laughs> then Helen said, oh, if you've heard this ad and I said, is that Lofty? And I said, yeah. And I said, no wonder that man's voice is just mesmerizing. Yeah. 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 Love you, Lofty. He had his birthday the other day as well. As always, we're very appreciative that you did that intro for us. Yeah, and, makes uh, us sound way more professional. It does, doesn't it? And it, the great thing is, is that Lofty couldn't wait to do it and also have a bit of fun with it as well, talking about having Randy guests and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, happy birthday, mate. Hope you had a great day. And because of COVID, I haven't seen Lofty and Helen for ages and I miss them. They're awesome people. Anyway, back to dog training. Okay, Terry Wilson, training male dogs whilst a female in the house is on heat. You know, this is a tricky thing to talk about because every dog's kind of different in that. Like you get some male dogs that just don't care. There's lots of different variables into that. Mm. But I think at the crux of it, the punchline is I usually would end up using, if not the actual sex, but the scent of it as a reinforcer. Mm. And really what it comes down to is, you know, like we've talked about many times is the environmental reinforcer. For me, any time that I'm trying to train a dog and I'm like, hey, stop being distracted by that thing and perform the bullshit that I want you to do, sit down, stand in order to get the ball and stop doing that other thing that you want to do. If there's any way I can possibly reinforce with that other thing, then I will. Yep. And, and that's exactly what I try and do with the bitch in heat. That's exactly what I want to do. Mm. The issue is getting that initial compliance. So I would never be looking to train a dog to do something in the presence of a bitch in heat. Like I wouldn't want to be teaching anything because in the same way, like I'm not going to teach a dog that knows how to bite, like how to sit down, stand in the presence of a decoy. Mm. I, I'm going to proof that behavior 
in the presence of that, but I'm not going to teach it. Yep. And, and I think that's the same when you're talking about dealing with a bitch in heat. Like I think that your chances of being able to effectively train anything is very low in that situation. And I think also the chances, like, of course you could, of course you could, but the amount of pressure that you're going to have to use in order to bring on those behaviors, probably the risk outweighs the reward in that instance where mm. you're better off using that for proofing. And so that your dog can work through it. Of course, I want a dog to be able to work through that. And even smell that and go, yeah, okay, that's going to be my reinforcer and even prompt me for work. Like, hey, like, let's get to the action because I want that. I want that as a reinforcer. But trying to train a dog to do anything in the presence, you, you're pushing shit uphill. You made a good <clears> – <throat> there's Dustin here. There's <laughs> dust in this office. <laughs> you made a really good point before when we were talking about the emotional states of people. And in one case, you were even using your son as an example. Dogs are not dissimilar to that. Yeah. There are some dogs who will rally to that sort of expectation. If it's communicated well to them, they will rally to it. They will work well. You'll get a high level of achievement out of the dog. There are other dogs that are fundamentally distracted by it relentlessly. Yeah. That will fuck with your mind because some people will say, oh, it's easy. Do this. And it's a coaching technique that's largely successful. It's something that they've tried and, and practiced on themselves and on many other people that they've been involved in. But you'll still find that those nemesis dogs, and I say that lovingly, but you still find those dogs that aren't responsive to that methodology of training. They just won't do it that way. Yeah. So sometimes that happens for whatever reason. We can define what is normal and what is acceptable. And we can even talk about ranges of mental illness as well, because dogs are subject to that as well. Even as you were talking about wet clay that hardens, that critical period and that brain development stage that we all go through, Sapolsky talks about it. Jordan Peterson talks about it. All sorts of neurologists, Roger Abrantes talks about it. There's a bunch of people who talk about early stages of development and how critical it can be on the development of the brain. And if you don't have a brain that's properly functioning and properly formed and functioned into adulthood and you have a range of prefrontal cortex issues, blah, 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 which we've talked about before, this can have an effect on your judgment into doing things. Mm -hmm. I've got friends and family who some people decision-making in certain aspects is very easy and very clear for them. For other people, it's a tragedy of the week, mm -hmm. something that they can't get past something that they struggle with. You spoke and used an example of Jane when she goes into a house and she can see paintings that are crooked, but she can deal with it. There's other people who just can't. Yeah, They can't get past that. And that will almost send them in a complete tailspin. It's something that they'll walk out of a room, Leonardo DiCaprio playing Jade Cahoover, and it shows him going into like a mental decline and just ways that he's opposition were using things against him, you know, like touching his hands when he didn't like them to be touched or making him eat a fish with a head on it when that was really distracting for him. That really sent him into a fucking tailspin. Mm. Some dogs are like that. I'm not making light of mental illness. What I'm talking about is some dogs have that issue where they can't come past it, mm. where you might find the majority of them will do really well. And I agree with what you were saying before to build this back into perspective is that I think the best way to, to do it is use it as some form of reinforcement if and when you can during a proofing phase. Yeah, We were talking about this the other day about doing simple shaping exercises during learning teaching phase. And a lot of things that students struggle with is fidgeting their hands when the dog's just about to do a behavior and completely throwing the dog off the behavior. Yeah, 
like they'll move, they'll twitch, they'll raise their hand, they'll clear their throat, they'll say something right in the apex of the perfect behaviour mm. and it will throw the dog off. It doesn't mean the behaviour is ruined. It just means that right then, right there, they were motivating the dog differently into a different area. So the dog was thrown off into a new behaviour based on what they did right there and then. When I explain it to people and say, look, just become a tree. You need to be the least exciting thing, the most boring thing in the room. So the dog basically doesn't look to you for guidance and doesn't look to you to say, solve the problem for me. The dog goes off and starts to realize in order for this problem to get solved, I have to be a part of that. Mm. I have to be part of trying to work out whatever it is that opens that pouch up. And as soon as it does, and as soon as you've marked, yeah, cool. Open the pouch, make as much noise, have a play with the dog, let the dog have a rest from the behavior for a minute and then go back into it. One of the students asked me the other day, they said, So this is ongoing, is it? And I said, no, absolutely not. During proofing phase, you should be moving around. You should be creaking the pouch. You should be trying to trap the dog into coming over to you. So you can say, oh, well, if your mind is not in the game at this later stage, at your professional level now, then bad luck, you miss out on your reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And water can be used as a reinforcement. What is a primary reinforcer? It's anything the dog wants at that time that's convenient and that can be layered into the program that you're trying to structure for your dog. So if you're talking about what can you use as primary reinforcers, anything in the environment the dog wants. Mm. As long as the dog understands the only way that I can get to this is through doing the appropriate behavior of the day Mm. or the hour or the minute. Whatever I'm supposed to do, as soon as I do that, I unlock the right to go and have that, whatever that is that I want. As long as the two of you are communicating clearly, and that's really what it comes down to, in, I think in one of the things that took me a long time to learn properly is very clear lines of communication. Yeah. The two of you need to be parallel in your thinking at that point in time, especially when you get into generalized proofing. When you start to get to that point, you and the dog need to be synchronized. Mm-hmm. Birdie was talking about this in the last episode about her and Luna when she felt that the time came and she made a point in the episode of saying – you and your dog at a point in your life start to know each other really well. Mm. And you do. Like you know when things are off with your dog. You know when things are right with your dog. You know when your dog's about to do something when it's got fuckery in its mind and you can see it right there and then. There's ways that the dog will move. There's ways that the dog will twitch. There's ways that the dog will carry itself that you are very entwined with and you can think clearly about it and go, I see exactly what's going on in your mind. Mm. Something I always feel like bringing up, I feel like it's always important whenever we talk about training around a bitch and heat, is that reproductive sex can be the most powerful motivator of many organisms. And I think- So can recreational. (laughs) But like outside the human species and dogs that are driven for that beyond anything else- in the wild, succeed. I always want to caution people, especially people who want to train with food, mm. that they're like, you know, like I'll present the food and the dog won't, you know, like he's not going to take it and he'll be hungrier tomorrow and he'll be more motivated and whatever. And the problem is he won't, mm. right? If you get a dog that that won't take food because the scent of a bitch in heat, 
He may not ever take food. And because, you know, like if we have two competing males that are pursuing the scent of a bitch in heat and one of them stops to eat, his genes don't get passed on and the mm. other ones do. And so it is not uncommon that you get dogs that will forego everything else. Because, and throw up as well. Yeah, like do things that they would not normally do and become really different animals. It's not all the time, but it happens mm. where you get dogs that are not receptive to new information. And especially if you're going to withhold food, that's one of the things I usually always try and caution people. I'm like, that is unlikely to work yep. because no matter how hungry your dog gets, he he is not going to want that food more than, than sex. And the issue is because like mother nature has you know, put in a fail safe in that, in that that bitch is only going to be in heat for two weeks at the max and he will survive fine for two weeks. And so if in that relentless pursuit, he never stops, he doesn't mm. sleep, he doesn't stop to eat, he doesn't stop to drink, he just pursues her in the wild, that'll probably be fine because it's not going to go for a period that would damage him. And so there is no safety mechanism kicked in where he goes like eventually he says, well, I'm too hungry to continue this. I'll stop and I'll eat. It's possible. And not, not like I'm saying this is with all dogs, but with some, they will die in the pursuit of that because that is what prolongs the species. Mm. And if chances are he has an ancestor that did exactly that and that's why he exists. That's why he exists and another dog doesn't is because he has an ancestor that outcompeted another one. Another one stopped to drink and he didn't and he found her first. And so I think that's something I always caution people with is that in the real world, He's not going to die. He will put himself into some significant distress in order to pursue that. Mm. And if he doesn't, if he's unsuccessful and she goes out of her heat cycle, then he gives up and he goes, oh, well, I missed that one and I'll recover myself. But what we tend to do in the you know very unnatural world in which we live is that we see people who say, okay, well, I want to proof my dog off of this. And they collect the urine of a bitch in heat and then you, you have an endless supply. And Mother Nature never intended for there to be an endless supply. That's why you know, females that spend a lot of time together will come into estrus together because mm. it's like this should be a period of fucking madness, right? And then it's over. Yep. And he shouldn't be pursuing one after the other after the other. And that's kind of the false world that we can create. I only need one. I only need a drop of it. Mm. So I only need one piss off of a female and that's it. I can starve a male to death mm. in the pursuit of that one drop that I can provide him every day. That is an extreme scenario and that's a rare dog, but they do exist. Absolutely. And it's just something that's worth keeping in mind. And that's why play is going to be much more likely because he might have to, when he finds her, he might have to play with her initially. He might have to sort of, you know, get her in the mood. <laughs> so like <laughs> he, he's much more likely to be able to do that. You're much more likely to be able to reward with a toy and then, I would absolutely want the dog to know the behaviors that I'm proofing already. And then, you know, I'm prepared because I'm likely going to have to pressure that dog off of it to take the toy. And then I consider the toy as the job. It's not a reinforcer in that moment. Mm. It, taking it is a job. And it's I want to show the entry as well. Yeah. Mm. And I want to show the dog, like, you know, especially if my dog knows how to sit to earn a toy, then asking him to play with the toy in order to earn the scent of the bitch in heat is an easier thing to do than to ask him to sit. And so that's how like I bring that back. I say mm -hmm. like, Hey man, I just need you to bite this and then you can go do that. And he much more likely for him to be able to do that than like to sit. Cause if I go straight to the behaviors, then like just chances are I'm going to have to use more pressure. I'm totally fine with using pressure, but I, I want to use the minimum amount necessary. And I want to create a scenario that allows the minimum amount to be the minimum that I can get away with. Mm. That's a very important highlight. There were several things that you were saying then, which I 
totally support and totally agree on based on some experiences, personal experiences and watching the behavior of some of my own dogs during that time. It can be a very frustrating, I mean, high level of arousal is high level of arousal. Mm. It can be very dangerous. It can be very unpredictable. Primarily, when you're getting back into the the neurology of things and when you're talking about state of behavior based on how your brain is thinking at the time, some of those high levels of, especially high level sexual arousal can lead to some very primitive baseline thinking. Mm. So you aren't a true example of your genuine self when you're in those states. This is when you see animals that usually herd together, which will hurt each other. They will go through that ritualistic, especially males when they're trying to fight for mating rights and so forth. When you're watching snakes or buffaloes or lions or anything like that, these are animals that are family animals that have been with each other where real harm or death or ostracization of the loser can occur because basically after that it's all over. Mm. Sometimes it might go back to normal where things are forgive and forget, but a lot of times, especially in nature, there's some pretty hardline times. There have been situations with my own dogs in the past where I've had multiple males and females living together who've been undesexed, and I had one male in particular, and the best thing for him was to put him in boarding during that time Yeah, because he wouldn't eat and he wouldn't sleep. And he kept running around the house. He'd pant like he'd literally slobber all over himself. And he was in a very uncomfortable status. Yeah, We didn't put him into a situation where he failed, where he just felt like I'm so miserable and so frustrated because I can't do what my genes are screaming out for me to do. Yeah, In a situation like that, there was no good training outcome for him. There was no nice happy ending in that sort of situation. The best thing to do was remove him from the stimuli of it, and therefore it wasn't affecting him. It wasn't emotionally draining him. So when it was all over and it came back, he was aroused for probably half a day, and then he realized, oh, it's all gone. Yeah. He'd run around looking for what he remembered last time, and then he'd think, oh, it's not here anymore. I can return to normal and become myself again. Mm. When you're talking about training and so forth, for some people they think, oh, that doesn't really answer my question. It might not answer the question, but it'll solve the problem. Mm. In those sort of situations, you've got to get into I guess, a good degree of problem solving. You've got to think to yourself, can I train my way out of it? Or is this an abstinence thing rather than action-based thing? Yeah. You know, I look at a lot of training on those terms of action and abstinence. And if it's not an action problem, it's an abstinence problem. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. There is a lot. So Dave Croyer wants us to talk about- The the, Dave Croyer. The Dave Croyer. Hmm. No blue tick after his name. How (laughs) dare you? Does anyone in the dog world got that? What's that? Yeah, like the blue tick on uh, yeah, social media that you're the real person. I don't know. I don't know anyone in dogs that actually has that. Hmm. I Maybe wonder. we're just not famous enough. Well, you, it's quite hard to get. You can pay and you can get it. Okay. But you have to kind of – the gateway is quite difficult. You have to have been impersonated and have evidence of that. Mm-hmm. And you need to show like a bunch of media articles and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty tricky oh. to get the blue tick. Well, there you go. Yeah. Dave, you should get it. Yeah. How do we know this is you? And not I know. Some not some, just some rando who's sitting in his underwear at home typing questions out. Jono. Yeah. I've been impersonated. Yeah, I've been impersonated before. There's a fake profile of me. But then the guy who did it actually powered to him. Owned up to it. Yeah, he, he contacted me. and was like, mm. He explained me his reason. It was very strange. Um, and uh, it was like it was in a dark time in my life and this is why I did it. I was like, wow. Okay, fair enough. So maybe I need a blue tick. Yes. Make me feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Dave says, talk about information addicts. Yep. 
David, see a few, right? Like mm. I, I think that all dog trainers who have a lot to offer, like he does, would probably see a lot of people that prolific course doers. Oh yeah. And I think the truth is I'm an information addict, but I think it's only an issue when people don't really digest the information. And I know that we've talked about this. It's probably not a long, it's probably not worth going into too deep because I, I think we've done whole episodes on this, but I think it really becomes an issue when people bounce around system to system, trainer to trainer. And it doesn't, you know, whether we're talking about a pet dog person that goes to every local trainer or a dog training enthusiast or professional that does every course, but doesn't actually implement any of the stuff. There's two words that are popping into my head that summarize it really well. Mm -hmm. Conflict and contradiction. Mm -hmm. They're the two words that pop in because they're regularly in a state of conflict because they get to a stage where they don't know who to believe anymore. Yeah. And they start contradicting themselves, especially when they get into dog training because they don't know how to put anything into practice Mm. because they're stuck between a multitude of starting points and they don't know where to start and they don't know how to finish. Yeah. That in itself falls in line with what I spoke about before with what it took me a long time because I've been in this situation myself where I haven't really known how to start something and how to finish it because I didn't know all the information around it. And I think maturity and being a really good dog trainer or even a good trainer of people is understanding, having a good start point, knowing the origins of the story, how to summarize each chapter well and how to get to the end and have a successful conclusion and then have that parallel thinking where together you, you know, like you know how to start well on the journey, simplified enough that both of you are satisfied with what you're doing. And then the progression should be that you and whoever you're teaching human student or dog student, both of you are satisfied on the journey all the way to the end because you can actually see resolution in the way that they're behaving, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, totally. It's triggered me to think of a bunch of different stuff, but there's so many courses, there's so many people you can go and learn from, there's so many schools. And I think for the most part, especially if they're the popular ones, they're all great. They all Mm. work. They're being taught by successful people. Mm. For the most part, they're successful teachers of people as well. That's how they get to those positions. I fell off the wagon a little bit, which is an interesting story in itself, maybe for another time, but like I, with like the spirituality stuff that I was doing, but I'm kind of back on it. Yeah, there's a really good Ramdas speech where people talk about how he's one of the greatest gurus. And he's like, I'm not, I'm just an adequate one that is good at talking about what it is to be one. Mm. He has the great ones you've never heard of because they're on a mountain in India and they're just Living doing the it. life. They're just doing mm. it. And yep. he's like, so I'm adequate, yep. but what I am is excellent at talking about it. Mm. And, and that's why you know of me and not someone else. And so that sort of relates to that. If anyone's doing a course and you've heard of them and you've seen their successes, they're absolutely adequate at doing it, right? They're, like they may not be the best in the world, but they're good enough if you've heard about it. Because like it's easy to get into the weeds and be like, who's he to fucking teach that and whatever. Well, they're adequate, right? Like mm. some of them are better than others. That There's a spectrum for sure. But I think one of the things is that what I see is people who don't invest in, and I've been guilty of this for sure, in really understanding it. Like I go, yeah, I see your headings, got it, boom, 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 I know it. And then it doesn't work. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't read the paragraphs. Like you you only got the headings. Mm. And that's what I think is some of the, the problems that you see with the information addicts, especially when they want to pit people against each other. And I think when you see someone that's like, well, you said this and he said this, so one of you's wrong right? Because those are contradictory statements. Very often, uh, not always, but very often they're not contradictory statements given the context, right? So Mm -hmm. that was a statement that in one context meant one thing and the other is a contradictory statement, but given the context, they're actually 
the same outcome, they right? They're, they're they both the, they're they're mm. not in opposition to each other. They're in unison, mm. but they're just within a different framework. Yep. And that is for someone who teaches can be really really frustrating and annoying, right? You know, I put myself into the adequate category, and then you you see the people like Dave, for example, world champion. So like, we're not saying he's adequate, he's exceptional. Then if someone says, you know, well, Dave says this and it's like, whoa, whoa, like, yes, those are the words that came out of his mouth or my, you know, whatever. If someone says like, I've, I've been quoted, right? I'll, I'll stick with myself as an example. Cause I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, but mm. I've seen people say, well, Pat says this. And I'm like, that is technically accurate. You can put, inverted commas around that and call that a quote, but the context is fucking wrong. Mm. And if you believe that to be true, that shows a lack of understanding. And if you don't believe it to be true, then that's malicious. Right. And so as a person that teaches and provides information, that can be really fucking annoying because Mm. sometimes you're like, Oh shit, do you not get like, have I not adequately taught this? Do you not get it? Do we need to go back to reteach or are you being a, a dick, right? Are you intentionally misrepresenting what I say? And that can be a really tricky position to find yourself in. And so that's why I think a lot of people who do teach can be really frustrated with the information addicts that are just doing all the courses, but not having enough time to soak on them and to to try them and to implement the techniques and, and really play with it. Mm. And I think we're all guilty of that. Like for sure, I've been guilty of it. I totally agree with that statement. And if I reflect on a journey of myself when I was young, like when I first got into dogs, I was absolutely adamant on collecting as much information as I could about wolves. I wanted everything. I bought every book that I could find on the market that had anything to do with the ethology of wolves, training of wolves, study of wolves, like I was reading papers of wolves. You know, like I probably spent and burnt myself out for about 18 months reading about wolves. And when I got to the end of it, I thought, what am I doing this for? (laughs) Like it has, it has no relevancy in what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. You talk about obsession and some of the things that you get obsessed on. And even though I hate obsession, I'm still an obsessive person. And yeah. that's why I hate it because I, I hate that about myself mm. when I get locked into obsessions, which sends me on a negative feedback loop. And that was one. It was interesting and I learned things about wolves. But what I learned about myself was what it was absolutely irrelevant to the domestic dog training world. And I learned some fantastic things. Somebody said to me ages ago when I talked about this in a social circle, did you regret it? And I said, some of it, yes, and some of it, no. Like there was some of it that was relevant, but there was a large parts of it that just weren't. It wasn't like I was in a university. It wasn't like I had to present a paper on it, but I thought I had to do that because that was an important and integral part of being involved in dogs. It had nothing to do with it, nothing. But it was interesting. It was fascinating, but it had nothing to do with where I wanted to go. And then when I realized that, I thought, fuck, I've wasted, you know, like a year and a half, 18 months of pursuing this study of wolves when I really, I should have been spending it on domestic dog training. Yeah. So then I started to get involved in just reading books about Rottweilers because I was obsessed about Rottweilers at the time. And that did have some relevancy to me. I mean, my market back then was dealing with Brodies and being involved in the Rottweiler community in a large part. But it ill-prepared me for every other little dog that I was training in a boarding and training environment. So when I first went into a boarding kennel environment doing board and trains or stay and train sort of scenarios, when little dogs were coming in for training, I thought, I'll 
train them like a Rottweiler. <laughs> and and that wasn't a really good game plan. Yeah. So once again, I realized, you know, like I'd stuck all my eggs in one basket and I'd obsessed about one area where for a better purpose of it, what I really needed to do was start by being a little bit more generalized. It's kind of like a, a GP, a general practitioning doctor. They learn how to deal with a multitude of things, and then they finally figure out, okay, this is the field that I want to do my focus on. This is the area that I want to specialize in. This is the best part of me being a doctor. Mm. That took me a long time as a dog trainer to try and work out what is it that I'm best at. And sometimes I still question that. You know, like sometimes I'll go, hmm, that changes. And you're entitled to change your mind on those sort of things. But as you said before, frustrations for me have been when people are in and they're out and they're in and they're out and yeah. they're in and they're out. They play the hokey pokey. Their left foot's in, their left foot's out, the right foot's in, the right foot's out. And they don't know what the fuck they want to do. And then they ask you a million questions and they'll monopolize a shitload of your time trying to get answers from you because they don't know what they want to do. Mm. And they want you to try and tell them what they should do, but then they don't even know if that's the right thing for them to do because you'll give them some guidelines and then they're still as equally as confused about it because they're stuck on that negative feedback loop, you know, where they're going, oh, I think I'm doing the right thing, but it doesn't feel right. That's hard. It's a hard thing to do because I've been locked in it myself. Mm. But I've been able to break free from that over time. You know, there have been times where I've changed careers and that sort of, I've been into that negative spiral again where I've thought, oh, now I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know where I should be going with this. However, my best advice as I've gotten older in this and I've gotten a little bit more wise, well, I think I'm wiser in it, is slow down. And have a look at what makes you feel good and what makes you, and I don't want to sound corny in this, but what makes your heart feel full. Yeah. And they're the areas to pursue. That's what people ignore a lot of times when they're choosing careers or they're choosing things. Like some people have said to me, oh, you know, like I love this so much, but this makes so much more sense to me because I can make a little bit more money in it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so you're going to be happy doing that? Well, I don't know, you know, but I'll give it a try. And then they go into it and then they hate it. And then they come back and say, oh, you know, I really should have done this, but oh, this other thing's popped up. And I'll say, you should think about it, or you should consider where you're going to go with this in 10 years' time. Like, are you still going to be like a dog chasing a car and not knowing what to do if you caught it? Mm. Or are you going to do something that's going to make your heart feel full? And it's the same thing for people who are going to courses, thinking that the information is always out there. There's always something better. Well, there is amendments to things. There are new chapters that are going to be rewritten. And that's true. There is new information. Every time I buy something, you know, it's like buying a, a piece of technology just to know that it's going to be updated in a few years, which yeah, is yeah. can be frustrating at times, especially when you've just laid your cash down on it. And then the next week they say, oh, by the way, we've just doubled the potential in this. And you go, fuck. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what you just purchased. Yeah, yeah exactly. It doesn't mean that that's not going to do everything you wanted and more. Yeah. You can still get many years of enjoyment out of that piece of technology or that bit of information that you've got. And then you can slowly look at, now that I have got a baseline, how do I integrate this successfully across where I can feel better about it? And it's also adding to my knowledge base, my my outcomes, I guess. Yeah. I think that's it. You want to push what you have to its limit. Yeah. Then go for more. 
I like that. See, that uh, simple summary of what I was trying to say is that it's like the lobster shell really, isn't it? Like once the lobster feels the pressure, yeah. it gets rid of the shell because it knows that there's no growth without feeling that pressure and pushing off that shell. Yeah. And that is part of growth. It's getting to that pressure point and realizing instead of being lost in this cyclical summary of not knowing what to do next, try and find something to f- like find an anchor point, something that you can feel satisfaction or completion with not completion. That's the wrong word um, because a lot of people just don't feel ever complete, mm. but um, satisfaction. I, I think that's primarily the summary word. All right. That feels like the right place to end it. It does. We've got people out there waiting to train dogs. You have next time we get a chance to record. There's a great question from Joe Rosie that's next in the line. Okay. And so tune in next week, guys. There's a cliffhanger for you. A bit like the- Should um, we just get Joe Rosie on to ask it herself and we can chat with her about it? That's a great idea. That actually might work with her in Spain. Yep. Because the problem we're having now with these like late afternoon recordings is that a lot of our guests are not available. Yep. Um, but she might be. We should talk to her during the week. Mm. All right. Hey, that's it. Another episode. Count on Paradigm. Yep. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Yep. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Indeed. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is Patreon. Jump into Patreon. Give us a few bucks a month. You know, you could give as much as you want. Just because we've got new headphones, it doesn't mean there's not more things on the bucket list. So what we have is color-coded cables. Yep. This is a fucking luxury item, if ever there was one. Yes. But I want color-coded XLR cables as well. Oh, Yeah. From the microphones. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we do want to get they do them. make yes. them in the yes. same colors. We definitely and want those. You'll be able to push the right corresponding button because the right color thing will go into it. And it just look nicer. It's a total luxury item. We don't need it at all. But your, well, we Patreon, do need a <laughs> your Patreon dollars will buy them for us and we'll we'll marvel at it and we'll be happy and it'll, it'll make us want to do more. With the Patreon thing, I don't want us to sound like a bunch of groveling beggars at the end of every show. Somebody said to me the other day, look, I can't afford Patreon but I'd love to support the show. Well, what you can do in that sort of situation, if you want to, it's only purely a suggestion, is you can recommend it to other people. Yeah, share the message. Like you can just get it out there and say, support these guys on Patreon, a couple of bucks, blah, 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 and they're hooking to buy a, a whisper room and you can help them out. Yeah. And that person will probably go, what the fuck is a whisper room? Yeah. And then you can lead them on this whole interesting story. Yeah, you about can start what explaining to exactly. them. Exactly. You can just say, well, would you like a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? <laughs> <The> whisper room. <laughs> All right. So jump into Patreon. That's a great way to help support our colored cable fetish. But another way is to buy T-shirts. You can buy yourself some color-coded T-shirts. Yes. That's pretty cool. Jump into mm. Spring and get those. There's a link in our discussion group to that, right? Spring.com forward slash the canine paradigm. Yeah. So if you want to get in contact with us, jump into the Facebook discussion group. That's a cool place to group source information, stay up to date with what we got going on. Tell us, you know, whether you love us, hate us or otherwise, mm. you know, whatever. And if you want to get in contact with us directly, you can shoot us an email. We are info at the canine paradigm.com. Goodbye.